Let your wise rise up. See the signs of the times. If it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when just peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery, hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas, with new abolitionist and actionist Johanna Elia and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is December 17th, 2014. Tell a friend to tell a friend it's time to talk about the truth. Tonight on New Abolitionist Radio, we are joined by Jason Eugene and Associates of New Abolitionist Association out of Ohio. The New Abolitionist Association works to dismantle the cradle-to-prison pipeline through addressing the issues that fuel the pipeline, including pervasive poverty, Healthcare access, gaps in early childhood education, disparate educational opportunities, intolerable abuse and neglect, unmet mental and emotional problems, rampant substance abuse, overburden, ineffective juvenile justice system, student loan debts, and environmental injustice. They are a coalition of concerned college students and other young adults from across Ohio. Their membership is a makeup of young people from college campuses, congregations, youth leadership programs, and other community associations. The New Abolitionist Association is an unrelenting voice for the youth, and they do not genuflect to any political party or institution. They are an association that will hold accountable all persons in leadership or entities of power that affect our nation's youth negatively. We are glad to welcome them here today on New Abolitionist Radio. Our state profile in slavery will be, <clears throat> excuse me, will be Washington, Washington State, and our abolitionist in profile will be George T. Downing, courtesy of one of the sons of the last poets, Abiodun Oyewole, who sent him into me for us to use it this week. You can expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. You can find archive podcasts at newabolitionistsradio.blogspot.com, and we invite you to join the conversation by calling us at 1530-881-1400. Access code is 549-032-POUND. Just press star 6 and 1 to queue up from the conference line. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Johanna? What's happening, Scotty? How you doing? Um, I'm kind of elated at the news today that the uh, Cuban that the United States government is going to normalize relations with Cuba. I'm very happy that the remaining members of the Cuban five political prisoners um, were released. And so, I mean, that's, that's a victory. That's a victory. Now I doubt very seriously if they're going to uh, lift the embargo, but as I have been listening to these politicians and these pundits, Talking about, you know, this, um, historic day, um, according to some, I'm listening to them talking about Cuba's human rights and democracy and all this and that. And I'm just sitting here just shaking my head, you know, saying you are one of the, the, the United States is one of the biggest human rights abusers in the world. And of course, uh, most of that human rights abuse is coming through what? 
They're legalized prison plantations, legalized under the 13th Amendment. Here is a country that enslaves close to 2 million people in prisons and in jails. And they're criminalizing the homeless and putting more and more people into prison. And, you know, the fact that this country still practices slavery via the 13th Amendment, Wall Street is still investing in human trafficking. Then I'm like, you got some nerve to be trying to point your fingers at somebody else talking about some human rights violations because Cuba does has nowhere near the amount of people in prison that the United States does again United States world leader in in enslaving uh human beings the vast majority for nonviolent so-called drug offenses so yeah but but not other than the hypocrisy I'm kind of you know elated how about you Johanna how was your week man oh week's all right so far I'm uh checking out that news as well I pretty much put a put a period at the <clears throat> put a period in it when I heard a uh, Obama's speech about it or his, his words about the uh, Cuba situation earlier. And the first thing he said was they were going to establish, uh, establish an, an embassy in Havana. So, I mean, that lets you know right there, you know, that's a, that's a CIA field office, right? So far as I'm concerned, it's just more the same, our same foreign policy, our same, we'll probably pull a coup down there before too long and uproot everything and right. turn it into, a, you know, our own little puppet. I mean, it's just the same shit, man. Yeah, like it was so, before. I'm yeah, I'm disappointed about uh, the implications for uh, Asada Shakur. I mean, I saw the right. New Jersey police immediately released a statement, you know, talking big, big shit. I mean, like, they help us catch this criminal. We're ready to go get her right now. And mm -hmm. if you ever share in social media, this is the post you need to share and make sure all your friends see. And hopefully this $2 million will be enough to inspire someone. To, you know, I mean, damn, the man just made a statement. Nothing's even happened. And they already showing their hands. So right. it's just more the same, man. More the same. Well, more. And I made sure I commented on their Facebook post that they made about her and made sure I told, I called them terrorists. Yeah, I said, yeah, you terrorists up there in New Jersey. It didn't take y'all long, did it? And y'all need to come clean about COINTELPRO and how y'all was helping to assassinate these uh Black Panther Party members. Now, I know we normally don't take um calls right at the start of the program. Um Our guests will be joining us. Uh, here soon in just about three minutes, but we got somebody that wants to, uh, add a comment. So I'm going to go ahead and bring them in area code 619. Um, please state your name and go ahead with your question or comment. Hey, what's going on? This is, uh, a, a dot N, uh, calling out of San Diego. Uh, How's it going? Yeah, man, I wanted to, first of all, man, just tell you guys, I, I, you know, I'm usually working, so I can't ever call in, but just want to call let y'all know I appreciate what you guys are doing. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, elders like you guys, you know, that really was trying to do something, doing something constructive and caring, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have very much hope. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you hmm. know, whatever you guys are thinking, you're, you're making an impact. You know I mean? Oh, we appreciate I, that. I, I, home, man. Appreciate that, yeah. definitely. It's nice to and hear so it every had, time. Oh yeah, I know. I had a comment because I was uh, I was yelling at my phone. I was listening to the podcast a few a few podcasts ago. You guys talked. You did the the podcast about 
five things people didn't know about slavery. Right. And um, <laughs> you guys went over, you went over one of them. Uh, it was talking, dealing with uh, how uh, slaves were killing their children. Um, yes. And I was dealing yeah. at, the, uh, at the phone because um, they, they, you might be able to call them abolitionists. They weren't killing their children for, um, you know, because they didn't want them to go through life or it had nothing to do with that. What was going on was the slave masters were saying, you two are going to mate and have babies so I can have more slaves. Mm-hmm. People killing them saying, you're not going to use me to pump out more slaves. So if you try to use me for that, I'm going to kill the baby. Right, right. I could see, I could see some women doing that. Uh, I, I could see not them doing it, but also the female, uh, white women of the era killing black babies too. Like, oh, you got uh, children by my husband? Hell to the no. Yeah, you, know you got I mean? a quadruple. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Well, yeah, I, I just wanted to point that out. And then, um, I had something, uh, because, I don't know if you guys have did any uh, any any abolitionist profiles on any of the abolitionists on the continent yet, but I was reading through the, the destruction of black civilization, reading about Queen Nzinga and how she was trying to abolish the slave trade back then. You Dude, know, there's a lot a, of abolitionists. Go ahead. Shoot us a link for that. We love it when people send in uh, abolitionists that we haven't uh, gotten yet, so that would be great. Uh, the one I got yeah. to from uh, Brother OG, uh, Abby Odun Oyewole's son. Yeah, if I wasn't driving, I'd read you guys something excerpt from this. But I'll, if you, I'll, I'll send you guys uh, the book and the page number uh, where Chancellor Williams okay. covers um, if you have the structural vaccination. And he goes into it. He yes. calls it an abolitionist in here and talks about some of the things she did. But um, but that was it on my comments. I just want to say thank you guys. Keep going. That's awesome. A A dot N, right? Yeah, A dot N. A dot N. I'm on your favorite app, but my name is uh Tori Scotty. I post on Scotty's okay. post all the time. Yo, I, we appreciate you tuning in, man. Uh, and those archives are like a college course. I was saying that earlier today. Yeah, it's it just does. so much we've exposed over the t- uh, time that we've been here. It's just mind blowing. And hopefully, we can do what Frederick Douglass always wanted people to do and continue to agitate until slavery is over. Peace, brother, and have a good night at work. Right on, brother. Be safe. You know, I've had... Q&AQ is cleared. I've had a pretty interesting week. I have been happy, too, to a large degree because of what I've seen in the streets, you know. Uh, just the uh, overtime image of the crowd that gathered in New York and then the ones in Washington and the way they shut the police stations down in Oakland and people were mobilized, man. I, I really like that idea that they're out doing things, that they're getting mobilized. Now, um, the way I see it is hopefully we can help put the right narrative in their minds while they're out there being mobilized. Cause you know, you just don't want to blindly right. go out there and do nothing. I think Malcolm said something like that. You, you know, you don't want to mobilize sleeping people. You got to wake them up first. Yeah. You got to educate them. Right. So that's where we, we come in to this, this, this thing that you may not have heard about before, don't know about, but when somebody points it out to you, it all clicks together. So that's where we come in. New abolitionist radio with, uh, Scotty Reed, Johanna Nelaya and Max Pontus. So we're, we're still waiting on, um, our scheduled guests to call in. So if y'all listening, y'all can call in at any time and we'll get started, uh, with your segments. There's a couple of 
quick stories that I want people to make sure they take a look at on the new abolitionist radio page. Uh, today, the New York public defenders walked out of court protesting Eric Garner's death. That's one thing. And also with Eric Garner's death, there's new information that has come out from his uncle who pointed out that Eric Garner <clears throat> was being harassed by the police at that time. And he wasn't just saying, you know, this ends now as a, uh, like, a, you know, kind of a metaphor. He literally meant he had already pressed charges on these people for stealing money from him. He'd already done it. And they were coming out there to harass him because he had pressed charges. This was from Eric Garner's uncle said this. So I would wonder if there is a record of him actually uh, filing charges against these police for shaking him down. I, I don't. I don't know. The, uh, he had. They also said he was. He was upset because this that uh, cop Penelotello or whatever. I said this when it first went down that that news was out there that he was already a dirty cop for yeah. harassing people, sexually uh, stopping frisk yeah. laws. Yeah, sexual harassment claims. I brought that up, and then that's what his family member said in the interview. Also, was that he had he had strip searched Eric Garner in the street. Oh, really? Cause they yeah. settled a lawsuit with somebody, um, they mm -hmm. did like that before. Yeah. And, and it's, so it's when crazy, we, man. when we talk about police, one thing that people must understand is their role in 21st century slavery. It's the same role that they had 388 years ago. And that is to deprive people of their freedom, arrest them. Um, even free blacks, they would arrest them and sell them. Uh, illegally into slavery. And this is what they've been doing for 388 years. I mean, they can't convict you of a crime and, and put you into legalized 13th Amendment slavery if first someone doesn't arrest you for some BS, you know? Yeah. Somebody's so got to take you there. They play an integral mm -hmm. role. Remember every person that is in jail or in prison a cop had to first catch them on the street. And that's why we refer to them as the modern slave catchers. Yeah. And you know, they don't even have to convict you or charge you with anything. We have shown examples right here where, for instance, teenagers are being arrested in Rikers Island and put, put in Rikers Island for up to three years with no charges, no convicting, no indictments, no nothing. And then just released like nothing had ever happened to them. One young man, when he was 16, spent three years in there. And he was never charged with anything. And he's not the only one. They have a habit of doing that. So they can enslave you for three, at least three years, based on the stories we've seen, and make, in New York, they make $352,000 per year per young adult. So that means they made nearly a million dollars on him in three years and then let him go like a used condom. So you don't have to worry about the taxpayers. Yeah, that's the taxpayer funding for day-to-day -day care for for inmates. That's the taxpayer funding for the uh, salaries of the uh, the corrections officers and staff, the administrative costs. All of those things all poured in together, and that's the main selling point for the private prison angle when they come in and claim they're going to reduce costs is to say, well, you know, we're, of course, they don't necessarily sell it to the state at the time when they're selling the contract, but we already know based on all of the existing contracts they've sold is first thing they're going to do is cut the staff down. And then the people that they do bring in the half staff they do bring in is going to be getting a quarter of the pay that the state employees used to get. So these are two 
huge savings right off the top. So that's how you can sign a $100 million contract with Corrections Corporation of America and show, you know, the state can show these savings and talk about how they're saving all this money. But then we also know on the flip side, You've already got Rikers right now is out of control. You've already got several prisons, you know, in the state of New York, just for this example we're on, that are out of control. And they're, they're finally prosecuting officers and administrators or whatever that have turned other, turned a blind eye to the abuses. But we also know that the private prisons are doing the exact same thing. So the slavery model is not working, whether it's private or whether it's public funded. It's just, it's just not working either, either way. Yeah, it's it's just it's got to end. That's the way we're looking at it. We're here to abolish private prisons right off the bat because that whole prison for profit thing has just got to stop. It's got to end. It's creating a demand for prisoners that has caused this nation to have 25 percent of the world's prisoners and only five percent of its population. And of that 25 percent of the world's prisoners, 13 percent makes up 60 percent of the population. And we know what 13 percent that is. That's us. Black America making up most of the criminals. You know, that's the new word for slaves in prison today. And in places like New York for our children, they're getting 352,000 a year. Um, Sounds like we have our guest here. Uh, Scotty, is we have a guest on the line? Yeah, we got uh, area code 216. Oh, please. Is this Jason? Yes, it is. Peace, Jason. Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Um, it's, it, it's great to have you here, man. You're one of the reasons that I'm hopeful today. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Thank you. Thank I you. Always try to find a way to find some hope. And, uh, when I ran across you guys, it, it, it kind of just struck me that, you know, the abolitionist movement really is back and full. It doesn't matter if, you know, everybody knows about it. It's like these ideas are coming together simultaneously. If you don't mind, let me just read a little bit about you, Jason. Sure. Um, so we're joined by Jason, as I said, and I'm going to read a little bit about his profile here. Jason is a leader, activist, and blogger specializing in urban planning, environmental education, and food policy. He's dedicated to creating intersections among diverse groups of people in order to raise awareness on contemporary issues surrounding sustainable communities, food and identity, human needs, and vulnerable population groups. Through facilitating and advising, Jason develops programs, activities, and projects to extend or enhance resources, information, and literacy for select population groups. He also serves to support programming and organizational design and operations by providing consultation, advice, and direction for the Cuyahoga County Conference on Social Welfare. Did I say that uh, correctly, Cuyahoga? Cuyahoga, yes. Cuyahoga. <laughs> There's a bit of a tongue twister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cuyahoga County Conference on yes. Social Welfare. So, yeah, man, when I saw that you guys were also carrying the abolitionist title, I was happy. When I saw you were a group of young people, I was even happier. Uh, welcome, sister group. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Tell me, uh, how did you begin the New Abolitionist uh, Association of Ohio? What inspired you to start an abolitionist group? And for you, what do you really consider abolition for for what you're doing? Um, well, I didn't start it, but um, I joined CDF um, through a good friend by the name of Joseph Worthy, who is the director for um, youth development and engagement here in Ohio, or the entire Midwest. Uh, and... Um, I, I actually came on board as a program consultant for the Project Green Thumb um, program, which is a constructive program, part of New Abolitions Association through CDF. 
And um, I really like the work that they were doing. It, it kind of works with what I was, you know, doing some of my work in Los Angeles, um, working in food policy um, and environmental education. And so, um, um, so, you know, I got involved in the organization through that. And, um, you know, recent events have just kind of trans changed a little bit or whatever. But, um, but you know, um, the organization really is a CDF uh, initiative, and that initiative is to dismantle the cradle-to-prison pipeline um, and stop the mass incarceration of our youth, particularly black and brown youth, um, which is incarcerated, you know, at exorbitant greater rates than, you know, their white counterparts. And so for me, you know, being a new abolitionist um, or abolition you know, um, period is, you know, about, um, you know, freedom, um, you know, being able to transform one's community and just, you know, being a voice for those who do not have a voice. So, Well, thank you for answering that question. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and for a station identification. And when we come back, we'll have a couple more questions for you, and we could talk a little bit more about what you're doing uh, with the New Abolitionist Association, Ohio chapter. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Max Parthas, Scotty Reed, and Yohan and Elijah. We're here today with Jason Eugene. We'll be right back after these messages. This is Brother Elliot. Host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Peace, and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Um, we're here with Jason Eugene from New Abolitionist Association. Uh, as you said, you guys are focused on the cradle to prison pipeline, right? And I noticed you had the trademark sign next to that versus the school. <laughs> and I understand why you put it there because the studies have recently come out that show as far back as preschool. They're already uh, showing uh, signs of racism in action through the educational systems where uh, four-year-olds are being punished on a greater uh, percentage than their counterparts. Am I correct? That's, yeah, that's correct. Uh, here in Cleveland, we have, it, well, the school system has a, what they call a, um, zero tolerance policy. And what that essentially means is that children, youth can be expelled from school for, you know, being a kid. Simple things like, you know, talking out of turn to a teacher or, you know, kids go through development uh, you know, in their own way. So this is very disruptive, not only to their education, but also to um, their, you know, their families and the, the, the you know, um, the experience children are having in, in, in public schools today. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's basically, you know, the, the, the child might be expelled from school. They might get into more trouble. That leads to, you know, eventually all roads lead into the, into the, um, the industrial prison pipeline or juvenile detention. And then they, once they get into the system, it's very hard to get out of the system. And so what we're doing is trying to change that. We're trying to, A, change the, the policies 
that um, are geared to uh, um, incarcerating our youth, uh, uh, that are geared uh, toward setting our youth up for failure and designing constructive programs for them and opportunities for them to be engaged in their community and take stock in themselves and, and be proud of who they are. Well, that's wonderful. I think that we have your um, associates on the line uh, with us right now, Christine and Ron. Christine and Ron, are you there? Yeah. Welcome yeah. to New Abolitionist Radio, guys. Uh, appreciate having you here today. Thanks. Have you been Have you been listening so far? Yeah, um, we we've been listening on uh, on the laptop tonight. I've got a question for you, um, Jason, or anybody from your party who'd like to answer it. Are you familiar with the Kids for Cash scandal that happened in uh, Pennsylvania in 2008? I'm not too familiar with that, no. Okay, well, it's the end result of what you're fighting. In 2008, two judges, uh, I believe one was named Scarola. Chivarella. Chivarella, yes. Mm -hmm. Right, Mark Chivarella, who were responsible for incarcerating teenagers uh, as young as, I believe, 12 to 16 years old for years. They have been doing this as a payoff from a private prison by the name of Pennsylvania Child Care. And they were selling these children to this prison for like a decade. And the prison Mm -hmm. made almost a billion and a half dollars on those children alone. At the end of the story, the Supreme Court had to pardon uh, or expunge the records of all of the children and release these thousands. Some say it was 3,000, but I've heard as much as 5,000 children. And then finally, the private prison was fined $2.5 million, which they took more than likely right off the top of the $1.5 billion that they made. Right, right. Never uh, suspended, never prosecuted. None of the CEO, excuse me, executive officers of this company were prosecuted. None. I don't even know how that happens. How do you prosecute the judges but don't prosecute the people that was bribing them? Yeah, or the county right. employees, or the county employees that provided the information and pushed the permits through that allowed the building of the of the project, and you know, no one involved. So, yeah, yeah, and the judges I, are doing twenty eight years now. So you're familiar with that, right? I am actually. Now that you, um, I, I recall, yes, that story kind of broke. Was it spring this year? Uh, it was in two thousand eight that it happened. Uh, two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. So. It, it, yeah, it's a, it was an ongoing story or case investigation. Right. Yeah. right. I am very familiar with that. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's... you know, that's, that's kind of like the issue that, you know, our campaign, uh, our coalition of folks that are working here in Cleveland with, you know, the recent cases of the shootings that have happened. You know, we have the administration is not only um, overseeing the Department of Police, but it also the mayor, is, you know, that administration oversees our education you know, public school system. So, you know, when you have a culture that is not, um, you know, looking out for the welfare and well-being of black and brown children, then, you know, and they are also simultaneously, in, in, you know, overseeing their, you know, their education, you know, that, 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 that just brings up red flags for me. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're really trying to, you know, we have a research team, uh, which is comprised of, you know, college age students all the way down to high school students. And our youth are actually engaged in, you know, this campaign directly. They're doing all the work. They're putting in all the man hours and they're taking, you know, they're taking charge. And it's, it's actually really amazing just to see, as you said, we're giving you hope 
I, I get my hope and I'm, I'm feeding um, off of them. Well, that's awesome. That That is certainly awesome. And, you know, there's a lot of other <clears throat> cases like that that are going on right now. Like in P- Mississippi, they're having the same thing. In uh, Tennessee, a friend of ours just informed us that there's 17 judges out there that actually own prisons, own freaking prisons in Tennessee. How can you own a prison and be a judge? Talk about a conflict of interest. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you're a student of the abolitionist movement and the abolitionists themselves. Are you? Am I? Yes. Yes, I mean, uh, that's part of our training with uh, Children's Defense Fund. So we, we go through nonviolent action training. Um, we, we do a lot of training. We do a lot of um, engagement or um, forums, I should say. Um, we uh, recently, a group of kids went down to the Alex Haley farm and did workshops. So uh, we try to our best to, you know, inform our youth that are involved in our programs and with our association. Um, as best as possible so that they're armed with the knowledge that they need to be armed with. Well, what I was asking actually was, are you familiar with the history of the original abolitionists from the 1800s and 1700s and 1600s, and and do you study those? Um, Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I asked because in the original abolitionist movements, it was about abolishing slavery, the system of slavery, uh, which had been codified by the United States and other countries and uh, really exists to this day through the 13th Amendment loophole. But even in the 1800s, we knew that that reform that they called uh, the 13th Amendment and the Emancipation Proclamation was not the end of slavery then. But uh, as abolitionists, that was their main goal to end legalized slavery forever. Now, you can't end slavery because slavery is a global issue, but that's illegal slavery. That's already illegal. (laughs) You know what I mean? You can fight it, but you can't abolish something that doesn't go by your rules to begin with. But when it came to legalized slavery, that was their main goal, to end that forever. And that's our main goal as well. Yeah, I mean, that's our goal, too. Uh, I think, and you know, incarceration, mass incarceration is the new form of slavery. I think uh, when we were first introduced, we had, you know, this conversation about the many (laughs) corporations that are profiting from slave labor, which is prison labor. So uh, the prison system system, um, has been converted into, you know, slavery, as you said, hasn't, you know, it hasn't disappeared. It just transformed into something new. It's a new system. It's a new structure. Um, And, you know, when I found out that, you know, about these corporations that were profiting from inmates, um, you know, making anything from computer parts to cell phones to furniture, even paint industry is involved, McDonald's, Wendy's, I mean, you know, the list is huge. Walmart, um, it, it just made me sick. Um, but it's, 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 it's a very interesting how we, you know, we, where we were and then we thought we were past that and yet we're back here again. Mind so, you know, and I think the conversation or the dialogues that are happening out there in the, you know, in the Twitter sphere and social media spheres and, you know, and the media um, are very good dialogues, but it's really not enough. We're not really getting to the meat of the matter. You know? Amen. What we're, 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 we're discovering is that we still have a problem with race in this country. And it's, 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 it's enough is enough. And it's time to 
figure out where this evil, these evils lie and to root it out. Well, I'd like to ask if, uh, Ron, you're there, right? You still there, Ron? Yes. Ron, tell me, uh, what uh, role do you play in the NAA, and um, how do you feel about being an abolitionist? What, what would you like to accomplish as well? What role do you play? Well, um, I, I'm not in the, the NAA per se. I am looking to um, pursue membership in the NAA, but to this point I've just been um, working with them through um, for their actions with um, what's been going on here locally. But um, I, I definitely do consider myself an abolitionist, um, you, you know, coming from uh, – you know, the background that we come from as, as black people in America and the effect that the, the prison system has on us. I, I have family that has gone through that and has seen the, the modern-day slavery that is, exists in prisons firsthand. So coming from that background and hearing those stories, it, it's definitely something that I am concerned with, and that, that almost seems like you know, not enough to just say concerned, but uh, it's definitely something that I, I feel strongly about and I'm going to be more involved with going forward from, from this point. Well, that's fantastic, man. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. We need all the abolitionists we can get. We have got to end this this tragedy, uh, this horror story that's been going on now for, what is it, 388 years, Scotty Ray? Oh, actually, <clears throat> longer than that. 388 years is how long uh, police have been active on the North American continent. That's okay. older than the United States government itself. Um, so it's a little bit longer than <clears throat> longer than that. We had to go all the way back to the 1600s. The 1600s, yes. Yeah. Um, but I do have, I do have a question, um, for, um, each and, and every one of the guests. And, you know, you can answer, um, in any, it doesn't matter which order, but are you aware of the 13th Amendment and that it has an exception clause? And if so, you know, when did you realize that the 13th Amendment actually legalized slavery? And let me just tell you, for me, I only found out a couple of years ago. And when I read the 13th Amendment, I was like, wait a minute. What do you mean exception, except for, <laughs> you know, what do you mean? I thought slavery was abolished. You know, I thought the Civil War ended that question. I thought the 13th Amendment and I had never read the 13th Amendment in all my years in school, even when I went to college, never read the 13th Amendment until a couple of years ago. And immediately I started reaching out to Max Parthas and then later we brought uh Johanan aboard and we started Abol New Abolitionist Radio and the group the group uh moved to abolish twenty first century slavery. So, you know, did you did you all realize that there was an exception clause for slavery in the thirteenth amendment? And and if so, when was that? Uh I'll let, I'll let, go ahead. Um, yeah, so, uh, I, I had read the 13th Amendment, you know, as a part of school, of course, history class, but I, it never really clicked what I was reading and, until, um, I started seeing, you know, digging deeper and seeing these facts and figures and, and, you know, you, you always have the, the, 
kind of jokey kind of um, cartoon thing where there's prisoners making license plates. I never really made the connection between, you know, the amounts of business and, and money coming out of the prison system with that text to the 13th Amendment that says, well, except as a punishment for a crime where have the party has been duly convicted. I've It's something that kind of shot over my head until I started working with Jason and, and new abolitionists, but awesome. it's, it's, um, yeah, it's concerning. It's a little messed up. <laughs> yeah, it is. That, um, you know, that a, a crime is basis for a person to become property again. It's, it's, um, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what to say about it. <laughs> it's, it's mind blowing, right? It's like, how did it yeah, get yeah. us all for so long? You know, we've asked that same question many times. Jason? Yeah. I guess same question for you. When did you first find out? And, uh, well, I know you already know because not only did you tell <laughs> me, but you told him. But uh, when did you find out? I, I would I would probably say the same uh, as you know. Concur with Ron. I I read it in in, in middle school and high school and in history courses, and it probably didn't click with me until you know um, college, um, and. I think for me, the experience, one, the realization of, you know, of that and, you know, being cognizant of our, our history as Americans, um, I, it, it made me feel shameful and to the point where, you know, I really didn't want to, I kind of ignored it. Um, and I, I, I placed my faith in, you know, democracy and, you know, this is America and everyone's equal. This isn't true. This is the past, not today, not the future. But, um, you know, uh, it's something that, you know, I've not been able to ignore. Um, uh, and uh, obviously in, with my associations and, and my involvement and the movements and things that I'm involved in and, um, not too long ago, um, once I returned back to school to work on my, um, you know, other degrees, I took um, an African American history course um, from a really great professor, actually. And she was a Caucasian female, but um, she was, you know, really just impassioned by the subject which she was teaching us. And I mean, I it just. A, you know, the, I, I had to face my own, my own demons about around these issues of, you know, the issues of slavery and just the black struggle, black folks struggle in America. But it, you know, it, I, I, I took away from that course actually more, um, versus if I had not faced that, that fear and that, that shame. And, and I felt empowered. I felt informed. And I was able to, you know, it, it, it's very vexing to me. It, it, it still, you know, makes me I'm very uncomfortable having to have this conversation and, you know, the 2014. Wow. Yeah, I can relate with that. Uh, you mind if I, I ask the same question to Christine? Sure. Christine? Are you still oh, with I us? I think maybe. 
Maybe it's her cell phone drop. Yeah. Oh, there she is. She's probably muted. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Thank show you. again, to the program, Christine. Uh, the question was, uh, were you aware of it? And I'm taking it that you were. And when did you find out? And how did you feel when you found out? Um, you know, I felt devastated, really. I just, you know, these in this day and age, you know, just to find out that we still have this type of thing going on, it's just, it's just devastating, really. It is. Well, I'd just like to say y'all had a, um, a better, uh, experience in education than I did because now I, I went to school here in um, North Carolina and at no point did we ever go over the 13th Amendment or even read it in class. And not that I recall it. I may faintly recall reading it myself when I was in high school, but it didn't click. And then for some reason, I just looked it up, um, on, um, Wikipedia and I read the text of it. And then that's when it clicked for me. So I was like, man, this is the greatest lie ever told to the world was that they abolished slavery. Cause immediately, uh, after the 13th amendment is when they set up the convict, uh, leasing system. And for those that want more information on that, uh, I recommend the PBS, I believe it's PBS film of uh, slavery by another name, which is based on the book. Yeah. When I first found out was, I don't know. Maybe a 10 or 12 years ago could be when I first found out. And I remember feeling like I had just not caught my wife cheating. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, America did what to me? Because <laughs> it started clicking. I, you know, I had always known. I grew up in that environment. I watched it happen to my family. I watched it happen to people around me. And I, I couldn't put it all together. It just seems so normal. And I think that's Yeah, I mean, it, it really does feel like you are, you're a victim. And, and the sad thing is that, you know, we're born the way we're born. And, you know, I don't, you know, to feel that, to be feel demeaned and to feel shame about who you are is a really sad thing. Yeah, well, I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm kind of proud that I'm a survivor. I'm proud that you're a survivor and that we're still here because, you know, they wanted us extinct. They wanted us gone. Mm-hmm. Period. So that the fact that we are still here and still alive and still surviving, even though our numbers are being maintained, is a miracle in itself. You know, we don't look, a, a lot of us don't look like we first uh, did when we got here from Africa. That's for sure. There's been some changes. You know what I mean? I but will add to that, Max, is we're huh? doing more than surviving. I would say everybody that's on the line with us now are fighting. Fighting. We've always been fighting. From the first person that got here and they said, and they want to enslave, we have been fighting. And, uh, I think this time we have chance to win. This is our third attempt, I would say. First attempt was the 13th Amendment. Second attempt was the Civil Rights era. And now we have this attempt. And three times is the charm. Hopefully this time we don't get caught up with any kind of propaganda and exception clauses and loopholes. Um, what would you like to see as the end game for a new abolitionist association? Well, we would just like, you know, to see that, you know, that justice is something that is equally, it's, it's a, you know, equality and the justice system um, and education and elsewhere um, to have the same opportunity as any other white person in America. Um, the, the, the ability to, you know, live in 
safe and, um, you know, progressive um, communities. Um, so I, I, I don't think that's much to ask for. Um, and, you know, as far as NAA is concerned, uh, we're going to keep moving forward with our, 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 our fight to um, end, you know, the to shut down the cradle of the prison pipeline. Well, I would like you for you to consider us uh, part of the same organization, of course, same group, abolitionists and friends. And anytime you need some help or or advice or vice versa, that you would be there for us and we can be there for you. Uh, We discuss a lot of the stuff here on New Abolitionist Radio. This is all we talk about, you know what I mean, when we get on here. And we try to put as much facts and figures and history together as we possibly can because we feel that knowledge is power. And the more people who really know what's going on, the more lives are changed. Because eventually we'll get to a point where it's critical mass, just like we did in the 1800s, just like we did in the 60s. And people mm-hmm. will demand change, just like they did in the past week, you know, out in the streets in the millions. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing just how fast, you know, this movement has been revitalized, especially with the recent cases. Um, but it's something that's been coming. I mean, it's something that, you know, like I said, you know, we, we've been in denial, we've been blinded, we've been bamboozled, whatever you want to say about it. But it's, it's, it's time to really face it and stare it down. And, and, you know, there's no going back. I mean, you, you know, we're fighting for something that's worth fighting for. Well, I think my brother, uh, Johanan had a question and I have just a small piece of advice for you based on my own experiences. Johanan, do you have a question? No, no, I've been paying attention to the, uh, to what they've been saying and just looking forward to working with them, uh, you know, continue to work with them in the, in the future and what they're trying to do. Uh, we've, you know, obviously we try to cover all aspects like what they've mentioned, the school to prison pipeline. Uh, but then, uh, you know, all the other aspects of it as well. So I'm just looking forward to, to, to working with uh, them as a group here in the future. Well, that is, that is wonderful, Johanna. Here's a piece of advice for me personally. Uh, when I was a young man, 18 years old, I went and exercised my rights as a voter to go out and vote. And I voted for Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan instituted, he literally re-enslaved my people, literally, and I helped him do it because I was, mm-hmm. I just didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't bother. I was empowered. I was like, yeah, I can vote. And this guy, everybody's talking about him and he sounds good and he looks good. Let's go ahead and go for it. And I regret that to this day. I really think that's the reason I'm end up in hell because there's so many millions and I put my John Doe on it. Careful careful when you're endorsing anyone who's offering you a a political solution because over the years we've seen what happens they usually have these loopholes Mm -hmm. and what we thought we were gaining was actually a loss just like in the civil rights era right now we are further into poverty than we were in the 1940s Um, yeah i I, I mean i totally concur with you it's you gotta inform yourself You, you gotta yes you have to vote um, I'm a big advocate of that, but also understand that, you know, you know, voting isn't what they make it to seem, it's, make it seem what it is. It's, it's a little bit more than what that, you know, um, it, it involves politics, it involves money, it involves a lot of things, and it's not just, you know, this 
concept of every every vote counts. Yes, every vote counts, but <laughs> and it's the but that you know <laughs> that that gets us. Mm-hmm. So. Indeed. Scotty, I believe you had something you wanted well, to say. Well, I, I just wanted to, you know, just for the sake of, uh, informing our listeners, uh, you mentioned Ronald Reagan. Uh, remember, um, Wall Street first start, started off as a slave trading, uh, block. I don't like to call people slaves, so I should say an enslaved African, uh, trading block. That's what, that started mm-hmm. on Wall Street. Okay. Um, but then, Wall Street and private people were prohibited from, you know, uh, engaging in slave, slavery and human trafficking. Uh, the 13th Amendment basically took slavery out of private hands and put it into state hands. But then once Ronald Reagan came along, that is when he started the movement to privatize prisons, which let Wall Street right back into slavery and human trafficking as a business. So I I just wanted to uh, make that historical note um, of just some of the damage, you know, that was done uh, under Reagan. And, and, you know, uh, we're not partisan people on this program. And, uh, you know, uh, every president since um, has also, you know, contributed to it. So, Amen. All the way up to the present. And, you know, uh, just to look, put it in perspective, from th- that time in the early 80s till now, it went from 240,000 prisoners nationwide to 2.4 million and growing up and down. Well, I'd like to, uh, we're coming close to the end of our interview, and I would like to give each of you, uh, my guests the opportunity to say whatever you want to say, uh, if possible. And also, please give us any links that you'd like our audience to visit in order to help to support your cause. Uh, Jason, we'll start with you. Anything you want to tell our audience? Yeah, I just like I thank you for having us on the show and helping us um, spread the, the word about these important issues. And um, if anyone's interested in the New Abolitionist Association, you can check us out on Facebook at New Abolitionist Association or um, um, pound. Uh, sorry, pound <laughs> hashtag uh, NAA. Um, and um, you can also check us out on Twitter at. Um, NAA Ohio. Um, Ron? Um, you know, just thanks for having me on. Uh, never would have expected to be doing stuff like this when I first started, you know, um, being active with this. Um, don't really have much to say. Uh, we kind of, well, Jason kind of covered it all, uh, on our time here, but, um, yeah, definitely follow us on Facebook. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you mentioned the Twitter at um, NAA Ohio. You might have. Um, Twitter at NAA Ohio. Hey, Ron, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 20. 20. That's uh, the second time you gave me a big smile tonight, just listening to you talk about being an abolitionist and telling me your age, and that really makes me happy, man. This is a young people's movement. It always was. The elders are here to give you the information and direct as much as we can, but you got to make up your own mind in the long run, and I'm glad you did. Christine, uh, would you like to say anything more than one or two words you said so far? I certainly want to hear something from you. No, um, you know, I just I want to thank you for having us on. Uh, I truly appreciate you giving us the platform to speak about, um, you know, our association and the things that we have going on. And yeah, this is just the start of a new beginning. So thank you. 
It's our pleasure. It certainly is a new beginning. It's an old fight and a new beginning. I, I have one last thing. I, I do want to thank all the the, the people who are supporting um, NAA and our campaign. Um, I do want to send a shout out to all those folks who have been in organizations that are a part of this campaign and uh, recognize that these are the folks that are on the ground doing the work and being very supportive of us. So that's very important. Definitely. It is uh, very important that you have people who believe in what you're doing and support the cause. And uh, I, I thank you, thank them for you as well, because, uh, as I said, we need as many abolitionists as we can get. <clears throat> and it's wonderful to see many organizations coming together with that same banner because they recognize that is what we need to do. Abolish slavery. Slavery never ended in 1863 or five or whenever you want to put it on. It just did not end. And all you got to do is read the 13th Amendment and then take a closer look at the private prisons and federal prisons to understand. Uh, Jason, Christine, Ron, thank you so much for sharing uh, your expertise and what you're doing here in the community. We applaud you and we thank you. Keep up the good work. And as we said earlier, if you need us for anything, we're here. Just reach out. Thank you so much. Having a good night. Thank you. you guys have a fantastic evening. Good night. Bye. Brother Scotty, Brother Johanan, I love it when the young people are leading the way, man. I love it. <laughs> most, yeah, it's most good definitely. to see they do, they're taking action. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And, you know, I think there has always been an unbroken chain of abolitionists, um, you know, when we look back at some of the former Black Panther Party members, uh, mm-hmm. certainly they were engaged in abolitionists. Uh, we Angela actually, uh, yeah, Angela Davis, we profiled her as an abolitionist. She's still active today. And, and so even though, you know, me, myself, I came late to the party because of, you know, ignorance and lack of information. Um, but, it just it just really encouraged me that we have young people uh that will you know possibly be here fighting the fight if we haven't won it you know after I'm gone and and I can no longer you know do the work so it, it's just very encouraging to to see a new generation pick up the baton Amen to that, man. I know Johanna is over there raising a couple of young abolitionists right now. <laughs> and they are learning so much at his knees, man. And vicariously, I'm watching it, you know, and experiencing it. Because uh, I remember you talking about the kids listening. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it does. I'm pretty sure it does. We've gotten testimonies left and right of people who said it is making a difference. And although uh, we're not reaching the millions that we want to reach yet, those that we have reached, uh, have, we have made an impact on their perspective and I'm appreciative of that. You know, I do want to let the listeners know, uh, we will more than likely go over time, um, tonight because we, with the Christmas season, shopping season uh, upon us, if you're not going to boycott it, like I plan to, again, if any of my family members listening, <laughs> do not buy me any Christmas gifts. Okay. Um, you know, you can just, uh, I appreciate the thought, but I don't want any Christmas gifts because I'm participating in a wider boycott of Christmas. But if you are one of those people who just feel like, well, you know, that's asking a bit much. I got to go out here and spend this money and, uh, you know, buy people gifts and stuff. Well, we want to highlight some of the, um, America's largest retailers that are using prison slave labor in some form or fashion. And so we hope that if you, you know, do not participate in the boycott, that you will at least boycott these companies. 
Amen to that. Uh, are we going to take a break and then go into that? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Max Parthas, Scotty Reed, and Johan and Elijah. We just uh, left our guests, Jason Eugene, Christine Keegan, and Ron from uh, New Abolitionist Association out of Ohio. And you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be right back after this. Brothers and sisters! Brothers and sisters! I don't know what this world is coming to! This is Ron Hayes with Hood News, and you're listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Um, we're about to tell you about the corporations and companies that are using prison slave labor in their daily business practices. There are some really big ones out there using it right now, and some that you might go, what? How could they possibly be using slave labor? Places like Burger King, for instance, and McDonald's and Walmart's. Well, I'm sure Scotty is going to go into our list, but I just want to point out the three areas or categories of those involved in prison labor and prison industry operations. One is corporations, businesses, and companies that use direct inmate labor for manufacturing and service jobs. Two, corporations, businesses, and companies that contract with other companies to purchase products or services made by inmate labor, such as McDonald's. And three, individuals, corporations, organizations, and investment companies that support the use of prison labor or enable prison industry operations by contributing financial support to those directly involved in using inmates for labor or invest in a support or support private prison corporations. For instance, like what the uh, Columbia Divest uh, program is working against. Right, right. And um, I mean, there are far too many companies I'm discuss- still discovering companies that I did not know, but we're just going for tonight, going to focus on some that people go to probably, you know, at least once a week, like Max mentioned McDonald's, but, you know, also like Walmart, you know, um, um, that uses pre, um, prison slave labor in what's called a demanufacturing uh process so we won't be able you know of course we will have to probably do a three-hour program you know what i'm saying just on covering all the companies and how they are engaged in in um using prison slave labor but i have linked up to an article on atlanta blackstar.com the article was published when was that published in 2012, I believe it was. No, it was published into 2014 in October of this year. Um, right. so I've linked to that one, um, so that you can go and see yourself. But, you know, again, we're just going to focus on the ones that they are presenting here, but this is not in a, uh, uh, an exclusive list. Uh, I should say there are plenty, plenty more. Um, first, I'll cover the first two guys. Do y'all, do y'all have it up? Yes. Okay. I'll cover the first page. We got five pages to go through. I'll start with the first page. Uh, McDonald's. Okay. McDonald's. McDonald's uses inmates to produce frozen foods 
inmates process beef for patties. They may also process bread, milk, and chicken products. And like Max also alluded to and it's not listed, um, um, here is that some of their plastic, you know, utensils and stuff that is made by prison slave labor or a company, a, a, another company that uses prison slave labor. So if you needed another reason not to eat at McDonald's because, you know, they don't pay a living wage to their workers. And plus the food is pretty bad for you. Um, here is, you know, what should be at the top of your list of reasons why not to eat at McDonald's any longer. Um, Wendy's is another, uh, fast food chain that uses prison labor. Uh, Wendy's had, it says that Wendy's has been identified as relying on prison labor to reduce its cost of operations. Inmates also process beef for patties. And, and again, you know, we're just trying to go through this real quick. Um, but I've seen other articles where they go in more detail about these di- different companies. But those two fast food retailers right there, McDonald's and Wendy's use prison slave labor as a part of their process. And I know, and, and for example, I've never been to prison, but unfortunately my younger a uh, brother, my youngest brother has been to prison. And I remember when he was working on a turkey farm processing turkeys. And I ain't never seen a butterball that said, you know, made with prison slave labor. You know what I'm saying? I thought they were supposed to mark those sort of things to let us know, you know, what companies, but obviously they're not. So, um, yeah, Wendy's and McDonald's. Uh, Johanna, you got the next two. Uh, we got Walmart is, uh, everybody's. Favorite retailer, uh, the, the largest grocery store in America, um, and, and the largest retail, uh, goods seller. So, I mean, you can't get any bigger. You can't get a, you can't get a bigger, uh, more ingrained operation in this country than Walmart. It says the company uses inmates for manufacturing purposes. Uh, the company hires quote unquote inmates to clean products of their existing UPC barcodes so that those products can turn around and be resold. Mm-hmm. So, uh, also, if I could just add to that, the yeah. demanufacturing, I had never heard of, but I heard that most large retailers go through that. And that's like when you buy something, but then you return it cause you don't want it or it was the wrong thing that you ordered. Or if it got scratches, products that's been discontinued, they couldn't sell, whatnot. Then they had these prisoners break it all back down and, and repackage it. And then I guess they resell it later. So yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Well, so hundreds of billions of dollars of profit, you know, that they already are able to generate is just not enough. So they have to cut out the jobs where they were paying people seven or eight dollars an hour to do those kind of jobs before and, and contract that out to, to prisons, uh, to inmates and get slave wages, give them slave wages if they pay them at all. And we've already covered on this program how the states have it as a part of their contracts with these companies to uh, reimburse the company for what, you know, a percentage of whatever they're even paying them. I think we covered, uh, I forget what state it was, but 40% of what they were paying the inmates, yep. the state turned around and reimbursed them. So, you know, this is a pretty tangled web. And then the second one, uh, is Starbucks. Uh, says the company uses inmates to cut costs as well. Starbucks subcontractor signature packaging solutions hired a Washington state, pri- hires Washington state prisoners to package holiday coffees. 
which we will cover Washington State today in our uh, state constitution series. And I believe there's a portion of the state constitution for Washington which says that uh, convict labor is uh, is illegal. So we'll we'll get into that uh, before the program's over tonight. All right. Um, I got a simple page. And let me point out also, people might be wondering how are they doing this? Well, in 2013, 37 states passed legislation that allows prisons to use, uh, to offer their services as labor to private industry. Corporations not only from America, but across seas. Speaking of, uh, that's two telecommunications companies that employ prisoners in call centers. That's Sprint and Verizon Wireless. Sprint mm-hmm. and Verizon Wireless. So, you know, when you call up and you think you're talking to the guy in India, it might be an Indian guy in Rawway Prison. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, you never know who you're talking to now. It could be a guy sitting there who's either a mass murderer or an innocent victim. You don't know. But it's a prisoner you're talking to, often when using Sprint and Verizon Wireless. And those are good jobs. I used to work for Sprint as, <laughs> yeah. as a... Uh, as a um troubleshooter for their network, you know, when when you couldn't get cell service or your cell phone wasn't working right and you trying to figure out well what's the problem, I was the guy that you would call and I would troubleshoot the network. And those were good paying jobs, man. You know, they had a call center in Charlotte. And I, I think, you know, it was starting off like twenty five thousand a year. You know, I was making some almost forty thousand a year. And so now these jobs are being given to prisoners. You know, look, I ain't got a problem with with prisoners, you know, working, but I think they should be paid the same as somebody from the outside that will be working at. Do they not have families? Do they not have children? Some of these guys probably owe child support. You know what I'm saying? Or, or you know, their mom might need, or father might need some help. And so if you're going to make them work, then you need to pay them whatever the prevalent wage is for whatever job that they're doing. Because if you're not paying them the same rate that you would pay somebody on the outside, then guess what? Then you are paying them slave wages. And, and I don't, you know, I don't want people to get it twisted because somebody asked me this the other day. I kind of got, I wasn't feeling very patient that day because this person just, no matter, I think Max even got into it with him on, on a YouTube video. Yeah. Yeah. The same video. And this person like, well, they getting paid, then they not slaves. And I'm like, okay, have you done any kind of studying of slavery in this country? Because if you had, you would know that some enslaved Africans who were highly skilled in, in whether it was textiles, whether it was blacksmithing, dressmakers, we have covered some on this program that were paid a very small wage, slave wages. That's where the term comes from. And they were able to save up their money and purchase their freedom and then later come back and purchase even their family members. So just because a person is getting paid $2 an hour, you know, that's slave wages. And, and, and so that doesn't mean that they are not enslaved because they are. Hey, Scotty, you mind if I read something from the Daily Cause, which gives you a, a really almost full list of all the companies and, and, uh, corporations across the world that are using prison slave labor but well let's say that max let's say that since we you know already going over a little bit let's say that say that perhaps we can cover all of them 
next week. But let's just stick to these right here since we have short time tonight. Is that okay? okay? All right. All right. Um, so I got number four. To, okay. Yeah. Okay. Victoria's Secrets. Okay. Victoria's Secrets. The company uses inmates to cut production costs in South Carolina, down there where Max at. Female inmates were used to sew products. Also, inmates reportedly have been used to replace made-in tags with made-in-USA tags, right? So, you know, all y'all women out there that, you know, and men that want y'all women looking good, or I don't know, you might be transsexual or something like that, and you're shopping at Victoria's Secret. Stop it, okay? Stop it. Find someone, Fred, go to Fredericks or Hollywood or somewhere like that, you know. Uh, but again, we do need to do a program where we can go more in debt because Fredericks or Hollywood, I don't know right now. They may be using it. So I think as abolitionists, we, we have to do the research. We have to do the research because if we don't, then we could be going out there supporting the very thing that we say we are against. So I think that's very education is very important. Um, the next one, Fidelity Investments. Now, this isn't a retailer or anything like that, but this is um, uh, an investment house. You may have a 401k with Fidelity Investments. And uh, some of your money in Fidelity is being used for prison labor or in other operations related to the prison industrial complex, according to this article. The investment firm funds, now listen up, y'all, the investment firm funds the American Legislative Exchange Council, also known as ALEC, which has created laws authorizing and increasing the use of inmates in manufacturing. You, you know, I know a lot of progressives. They're familiar with the name uh, Koch Brothers, okay? Um, you may or may not have heard of ALEC, but they have like these sessions to where they or conferences where they bring in state legislators and sometimes even federal legislators and they give them model legislations with these with these criminals then go back to their home states or go to Congress and introduce this legislation like they wrote the bill themselves or something. But no. Um, so yeah, Fidelity Investments, uh, funds American Legislative Exchange Council. And if you got a 401k, please make sure, you know, that, um, you don't have anything invested in, in Correction Corporation of America or the GO group. And there are some smaller private, uh, investment firms as well that we covered in the past. Right on. All right. Well, we wrap up with, uh, page five here, the last two. Well, actually, three. Uh, I, unless J.C. Penney and Kmart are they one and the same? Do you guys know? Are they owned by the same people? Or um, I'm not no, sure. No, what about you? It next? just has them. It it just has them listed as Kmart and J.C. Penney both sell jeans, which are made by inmates in Tennessee prisons. So, um, I mean, it, again, these are jobs. I'm I'm in Kansas. We had here for many years, most of my life until probably 10, 12 years ago, they had a Lee Jeans uh, factory here where when Lee Jeans was still, you know, one of the top brands or whatever, that was a good job. People had lived in our neighborhood, worked at the Lee Jeans warehouse. So, uh, you know, you see again, these are jobs people had that 
are now slave labor. Um, and the last, uh, two listed are American Airlines and Avis Rental Car Company. It says American Airlines and the rental car company Avis use inmates to take their reservations. So, um, here we have it again. And the Avis, uh, note reminded me of a, of a story that was related to the Mississippi prison corruption, uh, scandal as well with uh with the uh the gentleman that was on the school board and and taking contracts and whatnot one of his companies that he actually uh made sure got the contracts for the state of mississippi for uh whether it was for their food or, or you know providing their food or whatever he was doing one of his companies was actually owned by a larger company that is uh that is the enterprise rental car corporation so this web that we're talking about, I mean, the Enterprise mm-hmm. Rental Car may not be directly doing like Avis is, taking inmates, using inmates to take reservations, but they are involved in contracts with prisons also. I mean, this, we, does it ever end? I mean, it's like the web is so huge. And of course, these people are, are exuding, uh, their force over lobbying. And over campaign contributions, I think that uh that in- individual with the enterprise that was wrapped up in the Mississippi thing. Well, of course, he's not going to be caught up in it. He's a level above uh Epps, and I forget the the white guy's name, the school board president and former judge and former prosecutor and everything else he was in the state corrupt. Um, this the guys at enterprise level are above him, so they're not going to get touched in this. But they're kind of like the Koch brothers, like you mentioned before. They've been in enterprise rental cars been in business since 1957. These people have generated billions of dollars over the years. They can throw money. They were talking about how they throw millions of dollars at the, at the Republican, you know, national candidates, uh, throw millions of dollars at federal legislation as well as, uh, local, uh, to Mississippi state legislation. So it's not only the slave labor, it's the money that these corporations generate to influence laws and influence politics. And Trump, your votes. Mm-hmm. Make make sure they pass laws to criminalize more people to make sure they mm-hmm. have an end, endless supply of cheap labor. I mean, yep. you, I bet you they make a lot of donations to the police organizations mm-hmm, and guards sure. organizations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I bet they get the Democrats as well. Usually, yeah. they, these corporations get to both sides of the aisle. So there you go. Well. There it is, right there. You want something to boycott, you got a list of them right there. All you got to do is go to New Abolitionist Radio on Facebook and look at the several lists that we provided you with. If you want the full list, it's there. If you want the short list, it's there. Yeah, because that other article Max was talking about, it has a lot of detailed, good information that, unfortunately, we just don't have enough time to get into. But I promise you, we will do a future program and, and go into this more in debt. And, um, you know, I, I'm thinking of devilish right now. I'm thinking about calling some of these companies and, you know, uh, seeing who I can get on the line and question them about, you know, using prison slave labor. Just a FYI for our listeners when, you know, the question arises, well, if they're being paid, what's the problem? The problem is, they're being paid pennies, if anything at all. Sometimes mm-hmm. they get paid a sandwich. There's a, a farm, for instance, right now that's uh, employing prisoners who are making 60 cents a day, but they're paying guards to watch them 30 and 40,000 a year. Mm-mm-mm. 
And I, and, and on that same list, I believe, Max, on that article you're talking about that in some states where they paid them, um, they didn't take it all back for room and board in the prison. So that's like double dipping. You got the tax, you getting money from the taxpayers to run the prison and then you're taking the prisoners money that they didn't work for. You know, so I'm like, and the family's man. money because now remember we exposed that uh, scam they got where they have this uh, banking system in the prisons now where all the money has to pay. go through them. Yeah, and they were taking huge percentages out of people's money there. So it wasn't just the prisoners; you're affecting the families now who have nothing to begin with, more than likely. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, if you got to travel this holiday season, don't get on American Airlines. Don't use Avis Rental. If you got to go shopping and you don't want to boycott with the rest of us, uh, because of these killer, killer, uh, cops out here trying to catch new slaves for the prison plantation, then at least don't spend any money with these companies that, that, um, uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com has identified as well as the, uh, article that, uh, other article that Max has, uh, posted to our Facebook page. Indeed, indeed. Don't eat no McDonald's. <laughs> don't go to Walmart's. Don't mess with uh, Wendy's and Burger King. You don't need that crap anyway, particularly those foods. You know, you never know what the heck's in those things. Well, that has been our story regarding the companies and a full expose on who's using prison slave labor today. Uh, I think we're about to go into our next segment, which is our state in profile, state constitution in profile. Scotty? Yeah, let's take one more last quick break, and um, then we'll well, get to state profile, which is Washington, and then uh, um, Max got the abolitionist that was sent to him. All right, indeed. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Max Partha, Scotty Reed, and Johanna Elijah. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We're about to go into our state constitution in profile and we're almost done with this. It has been an interesting trek. We're up to W, Washington State today. Uh, Washington State I went through that pretty much with a fine-tooth comb, and I couldn't find anything in regard to an exception clause or an abolishment of slavery. Were you guys able to find anything at all? Um, No, I did not. Um, I didn't go through the entire Constitution. I went through the first section uh, when it started talking about amendments and stuff, but I think Johanan found some stuff, or it might have been you, Max. Yeah, I did find something. They found something, but no, I could not find an exception clause uh, modeled after the 13th Amendment like many of these states have. And we actually found out when was that last week <laughs> that what was it? The state of Virginia exception clause actually predated the, yes. <laughs> the well, it was 13th. Ohio. It went back to uh, 1841. Yeah. The, 1841. Yep. Yeah. So, um, no, the I thing, couldn't. The thing with Washington with the, being a 42nd state, it, it didn't come into the union until 1889. So a lot of these states we've been finding, they didn't 
put any kind of, you know, language in there having to do with abolishing slavery because they never admitted that slavery was going on. If they, I think it's just a thing where if they could avoid even discussing it, you know, they, they just did. So that wasn't it Mississippi that just ratified the 13th amendment in 2013. Yeah. Like they did, <laughs> like they really did something progressive, right. you know, Sick. Well, I did find something interesting, and I'll read it to you. And it's uh, Article 2, Section 29 of the Convict Labor. The well, labor Max, of- Max, what? well, before you get to that, just real quick, Section 2, Supreme Law of the Land, the Constitution of the United States is the Supreme Law of the Land. So that means the 13th Amendment is in effect right. in, in that country. I mean, excuse me, in, in that state. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anywhere where you don't see the 13th Amendment or something similar to the 13th Amendment in their own constitution, it means that they default to the federal uh, constitution and the 13th Amendment applies. Was that it? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, the labor of inmates of this state shall not be let out by contract to any person, co-partnership, company, or corporation, except as provided by statute. And the legislation shall by law provide for the working of inmates for the benefit of the programs provided by statute that are operated and managed in total or in part by any profit or non-profit entities shall be operated so that the programs do not unfairly compete with Washington business as determined by law. <laughs> this is from 2007 when this was put in there. Approved November 6, 2007. They knew right then what they were doing. And they made it make it so bad, they put in an exception clause for themselves so the private industry won't unfairly compete with the federal prisons. Mm-mm-mm. For labor. Like, we want you for Verizon and Sprint. No, we want you to make bombs. No, we want you for Verizon and Sprint. I tell you, man. And, and then when you look at unemployment, especially in the black community, you know. Right. And, and, and then it's like I made a, uh, I posted something the other day. I said, you know, people saying that Congress hasn't passed the jobs bill and won't pass the jobs bill. They got a jobs bill. All right. It's called the 13th Amendment. All right. And when they put you in prison, they certainly going to find a job for you. So we've shown how that benefits Wall Street. That's where their money is at. That's where that's what they consider to be the smart money. They in America, they consider you to either. What do you hear? The American dream. Just start up a business. The off the off the opportunity here for you to start your own business and make yourself wealthy and that's how you're really gonna build wealth is to own your own business instead of working for someone else. So that's the first story they tell you. And then the next thing is, you know, be good at math and learn about the markets and that's the easy way to make money if you learn what's going on with the markets. And they always protect the banks. So Wall Street has started as a slave market and continues as a slave market. And even when Wall Street fell apart and the taxpayers had to come in and pay into that to boost them back up bail them out that bail them out it's still it's still to this day wall street is booming we we report on the private prison companies on wall street that are continuing to be profitable every show we've ever talked about since i've been on this program they've been up it hasn't they haven't gone down in the last couple of years they continue to go up but that's just two stocks on the market the entire market itself is boosted 
from slave labor. Mm -hmm. All these companies we talked about are able to show a bigger profit margin every quarter. Every time they talk to their, their, their slaveholders, their shareholders, they're able to report a profit because they are getting slave labor, labor. people. That's right. Put the pieces together. You know, just to put it in perspective, the last count was somewhere near a million men and women are employed in prisons in the United States. Mm. It didn't take that many people to build the pyramids. Right. So you got to imagine the amount of labor and, and, and energy that's being put out to generate wealth for private institutions. Right. They didn't have that many people making the pyramids. Mm -hmm. And look what they accomplished. And for those that say, you know, well, why don't these prisoners strike? Why do they continue to work? They why are. they don't do this or do that? Well, they have been going on strike. You know, for a couple of years now, but it doesn't really get reported in the mainstream media. We have reported on the hunger strikes in the, in the state of, of Washington, where the GL group, right. had, right. you know, has a couple of facilities where basically the prisoners is, is running the entire prison, you know, and, and this is an immigration detention facility. And, and so they went on strike. I remember the Georgia prisoners went on hunger strikes, you know, free for, Alabama for, movement. yeah, at free Alabama movement for the Alabama prisoners. And so they have been trying to resist this. It, it's just not enough people know about it and it's not enough people rallying to their cause and, and having their backs. Yeah, once they get behind bars, people view them as less than human and assume automatically there's some kind of criminal conduct. And they deserve to be there, they, man. They you shouldn't there. have been smoking cannabis, you know. Right. Please. And we keep pointing out every week, week after week, 70% are in there for nonviolent drug-related crimes. A large portion of people are being exonerated because they were innocent to begin with. And just recently in South Carolina, the youngest person to ever be ex executed in our country had his case uh his conviction overturned by a judge and this was a 14 year old young brother from 70 80 years ago who they accused george of yeah george stinney who they accused of murdering some uh young children and they just railroaded this young man and executed a 14 year old boy right here in south carolina and now they overturned the conviction but still engaged in the same practices. Yes, still in, right. in, in the same practices. Uh, nobody got prosecuted for that either. Mm -mm -mm. Scotty, um, while we're on this, I know we're coming up on time. While we're on this subject, though, this aspect of it, though, like well, like we said, we've covered, you know, multiple hunger strikes and and labor stoppages and prisoner, you know, uprisings or whatever you want to call them. Uh, over this last couple of years that we've been doing this program and over the time we've been talking about this, we've had guests on, we've talked about, you know, firsthand accounts. I mean, you talk to the, to the, uh, the lady, what, what was she in, uh, in, uh, Amsterdam? What, when you talked yes. to her? She oh, yes, and, yes, yes. Who had been know, to Cochrane? Yes. Mm -hmm. People have seen this firsthand. So we know this is going on and, um, referencing a, an article, that I posted and moved to abolish 21st century slavery group. And now I'll put the link on the new abolitions page also, but as Stanford uh, research suggested support for incarceration mirrors whites perception of black prisoners. So, I mean, understanding that we are the majority that's in there and understanding the numbers that we discuss that all the time. And then understanding that part of the issue is 
the inability for the dominant culture to to exude any any demonstrate any empathy towards the people that are the victims in these situations, even though their people are in it as well. You have a message that you've been uh, speaking on as far as tailoring tailoring the message to the audience just to, to find what it is that connects with people. So like we've been talking about with this, with uh, the labor and mm-hmm. uh, Wall Street or the tax implications or how the taxpayers are on the hook or all these different things, when we see science even says that really the problem with why the prisoners are not getting through to the general public with hunger strikes, with work stoppages, with people protesting, laying in the street in front of the prison, stopping them from transporting people in and out. When we're seeing that people aren't, that the general public is not connecting with that. And the science says that the problem is the dominant culture has an issue because they see prisoners as being black people and they don't care about black people. Yeah. And that's scientific studies. Two studies have shown that the majority of white people, not all, but the majority of white people do not empathize with non-white people. And, and, you know, that's just a fact. And so, yeah. for example, if you, if I'm, let's say North Carolina Tea Party invites Scotty to come speak to them and they're, you know, what are you talking about this slavery? We're going to have a debate and all this and that. Well, I don't want to go in there and use racial arguments to try to persuade them because they're not going to be persuaded. Okay. Right. So what I would want to do going into that is to tailor, like Johanna, you know, mentioned, I want to tailor my arguments or, or, you know, tailor my message in such a way that they can identify or empathize and just leave race out of it. It's just, it's not that I'm denying the racial component, which we know exists. Okay. And it's the big driver behind this because if the, if the majority of the prison population was white, well, it'll never get to be the majority of the prison population. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because white folks, you know, would not tolerate it. All right. And they're far more of them than it is of us. And so it's like, it's like, okay, am I betraying, you know, the movement or betraying myself if I use an argument that doesn't use the racial component? Well, I have to say no. If my goal is to abolish slavery, what the, whatever works is the way I feel. I mean, like I used the example, you know, uh, two plus two is four, right? Well, so is one plus three is four. So however I get a ride to that solution is fine by me or however. So again, you know, if you, we do have white people that are members of our new abolitionist, you know, group moved to abolish 21st slavery and human trafficking. And if they know, you know, they know the people in their family better than I, you know, some of them has mentioned how they have, you know, couldn't even sit down to dinner with their family because they're racist or whatnot. But, you know, let's just say that they got a family member that's on the fence about it, you know. So again, don't use the racial argument. Use the tax argument. Use the labor argument. Hey, don't you know if those prisoners are working at Sprint? That means you can't get a job at Sprint. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, um, you just have to tailor your argument 
depending upon who you speaking to. And there's nothing wrong with that because we want positive results. We don't want to get into um, an argument and get stuck in the minutia. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, whatever works by death by a thousand paper cuts or whatever, however, but we must get it done. So I, I didn't mean to rant. Word. Well, there you have it. Our state in profiles, constitution in profile, Washington State, who has just started to open up their private prisons all over again. The article is on New Abolitionist Radio. It's been a powerful night, Scotty. I would uh, agree. Honor, it's been very powerful. Yeah, night. I'm very again, proud to I wanna, know that these young people out there doing what they're doing. Yeah, again, I just want to commend our guests and thank them from for coming on and um, you know, being engaged as new abolitionists because you know, they are farther along than the majority of people in, in this country. You know, like they say, the old saying goes, knowing this after battle. I bet you none of them were out buying Jordans recently. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and they knew that slavery was not abolished because they understood that exception clause at, at some point in their journey did not abolish slavery and so again knowing is half the battle as they say it's half the battle and and it's a tra- it's a traumatic experience when you start to understand the levels of deception that are involved oh, I got deep very angry next yeah. Johanna goes into it often and it will cause depression and anger and all of these things it's like the five stages of mourning but I got to tell you I've known this for a long time and I'm glad I did I'm glad I known I would rather know and have to deal with the emotions that come with knowing and be able to protect myself and fight for what's right than mm-hmm. to walk through my life in oblivion, having no clue whatsoever and just assisting in the enslavement of my own people. Of yourself. Yeah, of myself. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like we just showed all these corporations, you don't have to be in prison. I mean, the, the companies that we named off that are using the prison, uh, using slave labor, those corporations largely are are uh exploiting us as consumers and there's nothing we can do about it the fast food companies get a get a pass to use whatever they want to use and whatever they prepare to serve and sell they don't even have to make the stuff out of what they say it is we've seen the exposés on the food so we don't have to even go into that we know about look with airlines, the exploitations on the cost and the fees and continually making it prohibitive for people to be able to use that as a way to travel. We talked about, uh, some of the uh, Walmart and they're out of this world with their, their well, they, actually they just agreed to increase wages, but several of these companies that we've talked about, uh, the, the phone companies, that's been a ripoff since they started having cell phones with these yeah. feats and all this extra $20 phone. for five and, minutes. Phone yeah. Collect. So. So these people are exploiting us as the consumer. So if you don't have the knowledge, if you don't, again, like Scotty just said, tailoring the message to where, to where it'll even fit yourself. Sometimes you just have to find something about it that compels you personally. Maybe you don't really care. Maybe you really do feel, I hear people say these personal anecdotes about, oh, well, you know, I was, uh, I was robbed once by, you know, by a black guy and I don't look at black people that kind of way. You know, people that have like these personal anecdotes they'll throw out there which makes it where it's okay for them to not care about the larger issue. But maybe that's not your problem then is putting people in prison. So then we talk about the slavery aspect of it. And maybe that's not your, you know, your problem because you don't accept it. That 13th amendment really means what it says it means. So, so then maybe we do show you this where, well, you know what? Verizon is charging you this and they're paying two cents a day 
for the people that handle your, and you can't ever get your calls, you can't ever get your customer service handled when you call in and they never fix your bill or they never, you know, whatever, they don't take care of you. You hear people bitch and moan about the service of the phone companies. Well, here you go. There's an angle for you to get involved and get pissed off. Damn it, stop using prison slave labor and get me some real customer service professionals or I'm dropping my, my contract. You gotta find some kind of way to get something about this situation to get you engaged in this. So you'll take a stand on this. We did Christmas last year. And here we are again this year. Protesting and boycotting and pissed off and in the streets, thousands of people mad because of what happened. So do you think doing Christmas again this year is a good idea? What do you want to happen next year? Well. <laughs> That brings us to our next segment, which probably is going to be a continuation of what you were just saying, because that, uh, people need to hear that. And that is the final moments of our program where we offer our, uh, we got uh, the profile. Oh yeah, we do have. Oh yeah, yeah, we got See, our, I, I skipped the whole part. <laughs> well, I next sorry, I got started going, man. <laughs> I've been trying to tone it down. He's like, <laughs> it start coming out. I'm sorry. Let's I'm, go ahead. Profile. Our next to last segment uh, came to me courtesy of uh, Brother OG out of Harlem, New York, who is the son, oldest son of Abbey Odun Oyewole of The Last Poets, probably uh, the greatest living spoken word artist that we have today. If you don't know who The Last Poets are, then you need to find out. But his name is Down uh, George T. Downing, 1819 to 1903. 19th century political leader George T. Downing was born on December 30th, 1819 in New York, New York. The son of a restauranteur, Thomas Downing, he was introduced to politics at a young age. His father owned the Oyster House, which was a popular meeting place for New York politicians. When he moved to Newport, Rhode Island, shout out Newport, Rhode Island, from New York City in the 1840s, Downing opened his own restaurant, the Sea Girt House Luxury Hotel. Following his move to Rhode Island, he married Serena Leonora de Gracia on November 24, 1841. The couple had no children, but Henry Francis Downing, who would become prominent in his own right, was his nephew. In addition to managing his own restaurant, Downing was also the manager of the U.S. House of Representatives Dining Room in Washington, D.C., that position afforded him, as an African-American, rare contact with many prominent politicians and lobbyists in the antebellum period. This political influence would prove to be useful as he lobbied for the desegregation of Newport schools. Downing worked tirelessly on the cause from 1857 until the schools were desegregated in 1865. Downing was also an abolitionist who was active in the Underground Railroad. After the Civil War, he turned his attention to other reforms including labor organizing. He was, for example, instrumental in the formation of the Colored National Labor Union in 1869. Downing also worked with Frederick Douglass on a variety of campaigns designed to attain full civil rights for the ex-slaves. Downing had less success in seeking office, although he was the wealthiest and most prominent African-American in Rhode Island and considered a national black civil rights and political leader, he failed in three separate bids to be elected to the Rhode Island Assembly in the 1880s. 
George Downing passed away on J July 21st, 1903 in Newport, Rhode Island at the age of 83. For his contribution to politic politics and equal rights, Downing was inducted into the Rhode Island Heritage Hall of Fame in 2003. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, George T. Downing. Salute. Salute. Yeah, man, that's a pretty amazing story. Wealthiest black man in Providence or in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Some of the wording in uh, the description too seem par for the course, like ex-slaves, you know, and uh, the things that they were mentioning. Even at that time in 1865, right after the Emancipation and the Thirteenth Amendment, they were completely convinced that slavery had been abolished. Yeah, they, they were, man. Um, like I said, that's the greatest lie that's ever been told to the world. Mm. So, you know, Noam Chomsky, you know, recently, um, um, did an interview and he talked about that. Um, and he talked about like maybe for 10 years after 1865, you know, black folks in America, former enslaved Africans enjoyed a little bit of freedom, you know, people not bothering them and things of that nature. But, um, it didn't take them long to start that convict leasing program and, and, you know, going out there re-enslaving them folks. Yeah, immediately after. It, it didn't even take a year. They had the prison built when they signed the Emancipation Proclamation and, uh, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. So I don't know where Chomsky got that 10 year where they lived in relative freedom. I think he's talking about the sixties, to be honest with you. You know, when, uh, yeah. right after the sixties, that's probably what he's referring to. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a, go ahead. I was going to say, there's a, there's a pretty widely held idea that comes like even with the birth of a nation the movie that the reconstruction period was a bit of a renaissance period for blacks some kind of way like you know they were able to vote and and mm -hmm. black people were getting into into politics and i mean so really seeing that film and seeing the imagery not saying what was literally going on but the idea you got to remember these people come from being treated like straight up animals like for real, you are not human in any kind of way. Then one day, okay, you're human. You know, come on in and be a part of society. So anything they did, if it was only one black person was on the ballot somewhere in Mississippi or something, to them, blacks was taking over everything. Yeah. So I think I think that's kind of the 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 it plays the into the mythology. Yeah, yeah, the mythology he's he's speaking from. Okay, yeah. But again, we're we're seeing a repeat of that you know uh they passed what vagrancy laws you yep. know well what is vagrancy well that means you're homeless and All i right. just read an article today that 100 cities in 2013 uh passed laws against sitting down or lying down in public they can arrest you for that yeah they're finding ways to create new crops new uh farms that they can go in and just pick people up like shopping carts full and they send in their police officers to do just that. So these homeless laws are happening everywhere. Florida is rife with them right now. Columbia, South Carolina is doing it. I mm -hmm. uh, just was part of an, uh, a pretty big documentary with Real Real Productions that are working on a story about that. And I told them and talked to them about the uh, way the prisons now are exploiting the homeless. Yeah. What it is is that people... You are worth more to the system 
as an enslaved person, you know, making profits for the corporations and for the state than you are as a homeless person out there in the soup line or getting food stamps or something like that, you know, and, and they just cut $93 million from the food assistance program, yeah. also yeah. known as right. SNAP. And so what, and I think this is on purpose. This is on purpose. This is so that you will go out to food lion, Harris Teeter, whatever, and steal some food, you know, then they can put you in prison for that and make money they off could, of you. They can make a feel good story out of a cop that catches you stealing a dozen eggs and he just pays for the eggs because all cops aren't bad. We know the news right now. It's about all these cop killings that's going on, but look at this one cop, how they highlighted that story. Uh, I think it was late last week. What is this Wednesday? Probably over the weekend. Yeah, they that. highlighted uh, that story. Let like the cop control. holding a sign saying all black lives matter right after you. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yep. Some of them the cops may be sincere. It's no way for me to know. But we know the vast majority of them, man. Come on. You know, you may not be the one out there shooting people. You may not be out the one out there beating people. But if you arresting people for nonviolent petty crimes and stuff like that, you part of the problem, man. What can't you see? I'd I love mean, to see a walkout yeah. like the public defenders did, just to have a police walkout. That would be awesome to see. Yeah. To show that there is a division and that they do care and that they are not going exactly, to Exactly, Max. Corruption goes mm-hmm. throughout their entire forces where in places like Florida, entire police stations have to be shut down. Yeah. I mean, start mm-hmm. gathering mm-hmm. evidence on, on, on these terrorists that's, you know, you know are terrorists and involved in all manner of criminality and gather evidence on them. And if you don't want to report it, well, turn it over to WikiLeaks, to Anonymous, turn it over to us. We'll right. put it out there and yes, we'll protect we your identity. But, you know, Everybody that has a conscience got to get involved. Got to get involved. Well, here we are at the end of the show. We're a little bit over time, and we appreciate your patience with us. And uh, we also appreciate the fact that based on the statistics we've been receiving, most of our listeners stay for the entire show. So we certainly appreciate the fact that you're here with us when you could be doing anything else, but you're lifting up your uh, your your heart and your mind, your soul in a common cause, and the common cause is freedom. These will be our final uh, statements for tonight, something that we can leave with you. And next week you might uh, have something to say about it when you come and maybe even call in. And don't forget to bring a friend. Uh, Brother Scotty, would you like to start this week's closing statements? Um, yes. I just want to reiterate, um, first of all, I just want to thank, you know, our guests for coming on um, the Abolitionist Association of Ohio. Did I say that right? Yes. Okay. I want to thank them and, you know, keep up the great work. And I hope that many, many more Ohioans, uh, join your ranks and that people will support you, uh, in that state. I also want to reiterate that with this shopping season upon us, if you weren't already, if you were not going to participate in a wider boycott of Christmas, as many of the activists have been calling for in this, you know, Black Lives Matter, campaign but if you just feel like you know that's jesus birthday and i gotta go buy some presents i you you know i can't boycott it then at least do not purchase anything no gift cards no nothing from these companies that that we have identified uh, as being a part of 21st century slavery and human trafficking and profiting off of this prison slave labor all right 
Um, if not you, then who? Okay. If not you, then who? And by the time my grandsons turn 18, I would like for them to be talking about slavery in the past tense instead of in the present. Thank you. If not who, then who? If not now, then when? If not here, then where? Hmm. Wise words. Well, I just want to, uh, uh, wrap up this week with, uh, commenting on some, some issues that I've been seeing going on, um, since the, the police killings has really been taking public attention this year. And it really pops up, you know, year after year with Trayvon when it was happening. I heard some, some rumblings and, uh, when Eric Garner passed, mm-hmm. I heard some rumblings. I think it was for Harriet. The little blog ran a story where the, the editor was saying, you oh, know, I'm not going to, uh, go out and march for Eric Garner. You know, we never hear about the women that get killed. And, and again, here now that this thing has taken on an international, uh, that taken the international stage and you see people all around the world literally coming out and protesting, uh, the violence and the torture that's going on here in the United States, just standing up and showing solidarity with us here and also city to city here in America, seeing thousands of people in a lot of cases, tens of thousands of people, like they showed the New York City time lapse uh, video that showed how the people congregated over hours and hours. And it was so they clogged the entire streets up as this thing is taking on life. And people really are getting to a point where they're feeling like it's okay to come on out and protest and come on out and say, you know, no more. You just, we got to stop this. What we cannot have is a rift between the men and the women on this. That's just ridiculous. Mm -mm, Nope. It's just totally ridiculous. When I hear this and I keep seeing people jumping on this bandwagon to say, oh, there, there's not enough. Well, Eric Garner, uh, what about this woman here? What about you don't even know these women? And come on. Let me just, I'm going to just read you a quote from uh, Kalamu Salam. And this brother sums it up for me so well. And I want you to think about what he's saying here. To protest is to implicitly accept the authority of the existing system and to appeal for a change of mind on the part of those who are in power and those who make up the body politic. To resist, on the other hand, is to fight against the system, fight against the system of authority while seeking to win over those who make up that body politic. Winning over is more than simply asking someone to change their mind. It's also convincing someone to change their way of living. So the problem that we have right now with this little riff is that it makes no sense because all these protests and all these marches, all this is really doing is just begging these people to stop killing us. You're begging the people who have the power to kill you, please stop killing me. So do you think that they give a damn whether you come as a woman and so please stop killing us or you come as a man and well, don't worry about the women, stop killing. They're killing all of us. So why would you put a riff in between us and all you're doing is begging? There is no place in actual boycott where sexism is even an issue. You have nothing to say about patriarchy. You have nothing to say about the men ignoring the women in the struggle. If you close your pocketbook, I bet you could close your purse just like I keep my wallet in my pocket, can't you? So there is no sex-based sex, uh, riff in the resistance movement. We're not protesting and marching. We're not begging for the people that are in power to just stop doing what they're doing to us. We're resisting. We're tearing the system down. 
These are your choices. You resist, you tear it down, or you start building your own. In any of those things, there's no place for a man to ignore what you're doing. If you as a woman are resisting, if you're tearing down or you're building, you don't really give a damn about what a man is doing unless he's right there working with you. So stop fighting over who's begging the most and who's getting remembered when they begging to please stop killing us mm. and start resisting, start tearing down, and start building up your own. Peace Amen. to the abolitionists. Peace to the abolitionists. A uh, big shout-out to our guests today who spent some time with us, Jason, Eugene, Christine, Keegan, and Ron. Uh, again, you guys give me hope every time I hear another story about young people out there making a difference and not playing by the rules anymore that have been played out for you and going against the grain of what those before you have established, saying this is the way it has to be done. And you're saying, no, this is the way you did it. This is the way I'm going to do it. I'm really proud of you for that. Mm-hmm. I want to point out that there's something that the movie 12 Years a Slave points out that you might have missed. You know, we focus on abolitionists here every week, and we've read about Solomon Northup. And Solomon Northup thought he was a free man. He thought he was a free man enjoying life in Saratoga Springs, New York, and working as a violinist. He was an artist. Him and his wife, Annie Hampton, and their two children were free. Then simply by going out of the delusional safety net of selective freedom, he found out how most of the rest of his people were living overnight. It bust his well-dressed, artistic, and intellectual upstanding citizens bubble so quick his head spun. Kind of like that cop that just got his ass handed to him by other cops who mistook him for a black man, or I mean a criminal. Now he's crying foul when just yesterday he was in a police clusterfuck. Let me tell you a statistical fact. 68% of all men in state and federal prisons do not have a high school diploma. You had better smarten up quick. Your life depends on it. And if you don't remember anything, learn this lesson. Abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know peace. Peace. I got so much trouble on my mind. Refuse to lose. Here's your ticket. Hear the drama get wicked. Yeah.